0: Morris, and you are listening to The Improv Teachers. I am super excited to uh, get this up and to you guys. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Katie Shute recently and uh, finally getting edited and getting this to you. It was a great conversation. If you don't know Katie, you should. She is one of the UK's original long-form improvisers. She performs and teaches all over the world. She is the head teach for Hoopla and the co-artistic director for the Maydays in the UK. She has been one of the Maydays since 2004, and she's half the legendary sci-fi improv duo Project 2 and author of The Improviser's Way, a long-form workbook, which, by the way, uh, Katie is one of the few women improvisers who also has written a book, so please support that. Uh, it, we need more of those. She's a Funny Women finalist and both nominee and winner of the Brighton Festival Fringe Best Comedy Show Award. She's also starred in the BAFTA-winning online educational series, History Bombs. Uh, there's uh, so many things I can go uh, uh, over still, and I want you to take a look at it. Um, great, great improviser, great human, great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. So here we go. This is Katie Shute, and this is The Improv Teachers. I start with, do you
1: remember the first improv class? you got to teach? Wow. Um,
2: Do you know what? I don't, but there is one that springs to mind. Uh, I remember the first time, or at least one of the early times that I taught long form improvisation. Um, I don't remember teaching short form, although I did, um, because we were so excited because (laughs) we, I think, collected everything we could about long form because it didn't exist in the American style here in the UK at the time. Um, So looking back, it was kind of all the people who were running schools now, or kind of the people that are the top of our scene or the most experienced or whatever. And I just remember being really excited that uh, (laughs) this whole group of people had figured out how to be all the things in a stationary drawer, (laughs) just kind of all listening to each other and looking at each other and I was like, do you think we could open this drawer? <laughs> just sort of doing this gesture and everyone rolling along the floor as staplers and rulers and stuff. And us all being blown away by how fun that was and not having a structure and just playing and discovery. So I remember that being really cool. And I know that a couple of those people, were still like, do you remember that thing that happened in that class? <laughs> you know, like years and years ago. So that one, that's the strong memory anyway.
1: That's awesome, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I, there's been a couple times, there's, there's a couple of memories I have of like shows and stuff when I found long form. also, and I was like, oh, well, that's what I'm doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah,
1: totally. <laughs> Whoa, how do they tie all that together? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. What are you, what are you, are you currently teaching? What are you teaching right now?
2: I've just taught an intensive for like four days. So not that intense, but (laughs) intense enough. Um, And I actually build it as just an experiment. So I was like, if you've done long form for a couple of years and you're regularly doing shows, do you want to just be in a room with me for four days and we'll kind of try and throw out the rules or the guidelines and the edits and try and start from scratch and rediscover or invent new things? So that was really fun. Uh, we threw out all the conventional edits and found other ways of moving between scenes. Um, we re- re-evaluated things like eye contact and listening and, you know, like all the stuff that you'd see as a regular thing. It was fun doing, uh, we looked at commitment as well. Uh, so we did the, the ad game, you know, where the old school kind of short form thing where it's like, come up with a
1: product and a strap line and a, you know, a jingle. Three celebrities, and exactly. I still we still have that in our curriculum. Right. It's we yeah at our very intro level to this day. It's great. Um, yeah. We do corporates
2: and stuff. Yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think there's like um, I find a couple things happen with that exercise. It's why I kept it for so long. One is it teaches fundamentals of like saying yes and building on each other's ideas but there's something amazing especially when you're first walking into the world of improv that to be in a room and all of a sudden everyone's saying yes to your ideas yeah totally and that feeling of like full support that as an adult has gone away <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we, we kind of messed
2: with that I completely agree with you we felt fa- we just did a tiny experiment that like what happened if we took the commitment out of it. And then we had a chat about, what. well, what is commitment? But we did it both ways a couple of times, like what you see is commitment and what you see is like not commitment. But because everyone had been doing long form for a long time, they couldn't get rid of the yes and, like even if they tried. (laughs) So what happened, which was cool, is everyone just had a really clear point of view and they all became very different characters. And it was more like a kind of slow burn cool character scene just That's with awesome. the same you know game and and the commitment one was great and really fun but it tended to be a peas in the pod thing and when it was like do it how you want don't worry about committing we had the slower more character one but only because they're experienced but things like that we just took conventional tools and tore them up and started again and it was really good yeah it's very exciting
1: cool. also, i'm gonna jump back to that in a second uh, the uh, the whole like the yes hand in your bones kind of thing, um, yes. yeah, I have uh um someone I play with, you know that clicked for him, mm-hmm. and uh I mean he's been playing a while, but when it clicked, right everything changed, and so now uh and I, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I'm like, yeah, yeah I know, uh, but it's like <laughs> I don't understand people if you just say yes the to top, so much stuff gets gone, faster, let's go <laughs> right. <laughs> And it's amazing to watch. I, I still find it fascinating to watch students like it just not really click until it's their time for it to click.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like they'll try to skirt around just the complete agreement at the very top because they have this idea or whatever, and it are just making it so much harder to just get going and then you know get that build. And and it's um. So it's nice, sometimes it's sometimes nice just to be in the room with people who are like it's so strong I drive that mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you can experiment. And so when you do something like an experimental intensive, do you what kind of planning like what kind of planning can you do for that? Um, you know, curriculum wise and classroom wise?
2: Um, that's a good question. I wrote down a couple of things that I wanted to do, like get them to list what they saw the rules or guidelines as. So rather than me going in with a bunch of games specific for them. We just filled up a whiteboard with all the things. And what was cool actually was, because the room was with, uh, full of people from different schools and different training, actually some of the rules or guidelines would come up and someone would go, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Which is already super interesting. Um, uh, I guess my planning was like, I'd like to spend half a day on uh, trying to go against the rules. I'd like to spend half a day on tearing up the edits. Um, And actually I borrowed a bit from a theater company, um, which is just a physical exercise. And I was like, what if we swapped out our conventional edits for these physical tools? So that really, and obviously we did the thing of, why did you sign up? Like, is there something specific you want? And then we just kind of dealt with that stuff. But what it became was more like, I became more like a theater director. Where for a couple of days, we uh, experimented with stuff, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. And then the last couple of days, we put it all together into a new kind of show. Oh, so it's
1: awesome.
2: Only a yeah. show that they know and understand now. But hopefully that means that their practice is not fixed anymore. So when they go back to their teams and their classes, they're questioning things in a, in a positive way and not just stuck in a kind of, um, I've learned this and that's the only way it should happen kind of way.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I see that sometimes with um, teachers and a curriculum, right? The curriculum to me is always a breathing, living document. And so uh, as someone who has to oversee a curriculum in an education program, I, I try to, you know, one, I review it like every six months, but also there should be flexibility for the other teachers to question why this exercise is there and it's and so like when i write the curriculum i put you know what we're going for like our objectives and all that stuff so that they understand like oh i'm trying to get to you know something simple like getting them to actively listen right Mm -hmm. and the teacher's like well i have this other exercise that i love and by all means like swap that out and so yeah i think sometimes teachers though are like well this is what has worked so i'm just gonna run it versus um it was jill bernard who taught me like the workshop you want versus the workshop you need (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) and so so I think yeah I think it's important that the teacher be able to look at the class and be like okay throwing this out the window let's move to something different because it's not working. Yeah it was
2: nice to have still a cache of experience and exercises obviously that If it did feel like, oh, we've pushed this experiment too far and now nothing works, then we could go, okay. well, let's do some good grounded scene work based on this, you know, kind of Unbreakable exercise to get everyone kind of comfortable again. So that was nice to fall back on. But I, I get what you're saying. Like I help write the curriculum for Hoopla, which is London's uh, biggest improv school. And that's interesting because I feel like I change the classes whenever I'm there because I get bored easily, which is why I'm an improviser. So, and yeah, you're totally nodding because you get it. Um, But it's that thing of oh, I've done I've done this exercise a lot. I'm not going to be fully present if I just do it again. So I'll do something that does the same, has the same effect, or maybe something I've just learned, which I'm really excited about. Um, but then it's useful for like say new or other teachers to maybe follow a curriculum. When I started out, I couldn't, I didn't have that much to follow Um, and a little bit, but I think it's us and our little team have found all the kind of best in quotes stuff um, for our our audience and put that in documents, but there's always room. And for me, I'm nearly always teaching new (laughs) advanced classes because I, I get bored so quick. So, like next term, I'm teaching a science fiction course for eight weeks, and I've never taught that as a course before. I've done the odd like day or half day, so that keeps me on my toes. And I'm like, oh, and I try try and make everyone aware that I'm also taking risks. If this goes weird, it's my fault. It's not you as an improviser. And then we'll just put it back on the rails. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: do you when you write these when you write the curriculum? Do you also have to train the teachers, or how's that working uh, over there at the
0: Hoopla?
2: Yeah, it depends on the experience of the teachers because when Hoopla was very young, it was just it was initially this guy Steve Rowe who, who set up the school and it's mostly him teaching. And then it just got a bit bigger. Me, Chris Mead, Maria Peters kind of came on board and a few other people. And now it's it's something like four hundred people a term coming through the school. I hope that's right. I think that's right. Um, so now uh, Steve is bringing in kind of brand new people who are maybe great improvisers but maybe they haven't taught improv before or or they're relatively new or they don't have this, like you and I, this cache of exercises that we know. So it's, it's more like a guideline for the newer people. And yeah, we do training days and stuff or almost like swapping best practice. Like, oh, I have a great game for this or I have a great way of introducing this. And we get people to shadow classes and yeah. It's like most schools, I'm sure is the same thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we also do that. We shadow the classes and then I'll do train the trainers. And now we're moving toward um, not just train the trainers, but here's the exercises. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to model them for you and then you're going to teach them back to me. And then we'll sometimes even have like a working lab. So we'll tell students, Hey, you can come in. It's free. You know, you'll get reps, but understand that like this teacher is in training. And so, uh, so you might get a note from that teacher, and then a different note to the teacher from me, and then the teacher's going to course correct and that kind of thing. Yes, uh, but I, our students seem to enjoy that because they're getting some reps and, yeah. and peeking behind the veil a bit of how that works. Yeah. Um, we. You, well, okay. So I have a few questions, but let's how, let's back up to you for a second. How do you think you have changed from the early days of teaching to who you are now as a teacher?
2: Um, I think I was very, I need a list, I need, I need to know, um, what definitely works and I'll have a, I would have a plan and I might go off it a little bit, but I think just with more experience, I'll still have that plan mostly, unless it's some crazy thing like sci-fi or my intensive, which I, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I would be, if someone took my notebook away, I'd be like, okay, fine or what normally happens is that's just there as a backup. So if it is hard or for whatever reason, I am i can't use my full brain, like I'm ill or tired or something, that's my backstop. And I'll be like, if I follow this, it will work. But if I cannot follow this, I'm gonna be more in the room. So, but I appreciate that different teachers teach different ways as well. So I wouldn't judge anyone for working off their, their list to the, you know, uh, perfectly but i I know for me it's, it's the being present thing
1: yeah yeah I used to um, also be really adamant about like not just having my syllabus but having it printed out and having like 10 backup extra exercise
2: Wow well, yeah yeah <laughs> I recognize that I definitely and particularly when I do corporate stuff as well I will have like a thousand other what if I what if I um, end up? going through all this in 10 minutes and every single time they'll still i'll never have touched that list i probably wouldn't have got through the main one and it's still there as so a like it's an anxiety list i think that's what that is
1: It's for sure an anxiety list uh and i think at some point you get you just know the list so it becomes that rolodex in your head so you're like it's fine um and then you also um like yeah i do that too i will I'll, i have workshop, workshop. Come out of meeting and classroom I'm like I'm not working. Let's make something up. Roll with this. Let's see what happens. And then it, we design a new exercise that you know has it works for the classroom. And then I'm like, oh, cool. Now I can make this a workshop <laughs> and yeah. do that. And, and I love I love being able to do that too. But I find that like I the the making it like I can tweak exercises for people who have who are greener, but the real being able to throw everything away and play, like you said, it comes with a more advanced.
0: Yeah.
1: Student, so yeah. that I'm not having to do some of the, I don't, I, don't, I don't say handholding in a way of like being, you know, putting someone down, but like you're still nervous about standing on the stage or you're still nervous about your voice and, and all those things. So I, yeah, there's um. so it just depends where you are in the room, I guess.
2: Yeah. I guess there are some also where it's it's a course that or, or a workshop when I'm traveling I think there are certain workshops that people want because they've heard about it or their friends done it somewhere or they want it for their um, like community it's a good thing there's one I do that's called um, never walk through a mime table again <laughs> um, and that one I think because I've taught that <laughs> for different lengths of time but that's become a little bit solidified i think that was something that was pretty loose at the beginning and now i'm like oh actually this is the quickest way to get there so i'll i'll just keep doing it like that unless something changes in the room i think there's a few like that for sure yeah
0: yeah
1: Um, when you take your workshops on the road do you have to um prepare for because because you get because it's easier to go around to you know uh european union countries which you know, that's gonna be a thing for you, anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, do, you, do you have to um, tweak it at all for like the different cultures that you're walking into, or when language isn't the first, you know, when, when English isn't their first language? Um, how are, how does that work? Is my question, I guess. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, it's definitely different wherever you go. I think um, not, not really. Uh, it is different culturally but I don't find that I have to change what I'm doing for that I feel like that just comes out in the scenes and the and the workshop content from them so that's okay Uh, but I think there's definitely a second and third language thing in English where I don't do as many verbal kind of exercises as maybe I would if I went and coached a a team in England that relied on that or used that a lot as their thing. It would be more, um, emotional or physical probably, but that's not to say we don't do stuff like honing into the particular word someone's given you in a line and saying, Oh, I can, that's what that means or that's given me the subtext of what they were really saying. Um, but yeah, not, not too many wordy exercises maybe in Europe.
1: Um, how do you, when you, you have like a standard, um, spiel, if you will, when you get at the top about like, you know, that most, yeah, go for it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs>
2: yeah. So if I'm walking into a class for the first time, I'll be like, hello, this is me. And I'll just mention the companies I work with. Um, then I'm from London, but I'll also say, uh, I'll check in with people and, um, see how they want to be referred to, whether it's she, her, hers, or whatever anyone's choice of um, uh, to kind of title is. I can't remember the right word, sorry. Um, but then I'll... Yeah, pronouns. And I'll also do the, you don't have to be clever or funny or quick. Um, that's like a side effect. And I tell everyone to kind of just lower the bar because they're in a workshop. And I think there's that thing sometimes when people feel like, they have to be good either because there's just a teacher and they feel like they wanna show up their best stuff for that person or I don't know, or there's strangers or people they know in the room and they, there's this weird low level competitive thing. And it's just like, you're not gonna grow unless you make a lot of mistakes. So just letting them know that it's it can, they can be pretty chill and basically it's time to experiment and learn and not to worry about being good, I guess. Um, and I found that actually, I, I yeah, I was no. a with Craig <laughs> with, um, Krakowski and I remember him saying like, oh, hey, I'm this hotshot from L.A. Um, so can you just forget about that and just remember to just chill and relax? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's really important. And I think um, uh, Holly uh, from Groundlings did that recently as well. And I was like, yeah, of course. And it gets weird when you've been an improv teacher for a while, because even though you're telling other people like, chill out, take risks, you're sort of on some level trying to take care of your like reputation, even though it doesn't fucking mean anything.
1: So I was, you know, when I can, I get to take, when I can, I jump into a workshop and whatnot. And, and these yeah. days um, I was just at, um, the Countdown Festival in Tampa, Florida, and Will Luera, who is in our backyard, and is one of the, my favorite teachers, um, was teaching a workshop. And I was like, cool, I'm going to jump in, because I just haven't, I haven't taken a workshop for myself, and I always enjoy Will, and I always walk away being like, oh, right, that's a great nugget. And um, and there there's some of my own, like, people from my own theater in there, and then some people who know me. Uh, and then the people weren't. And so I these days, I just, I don't, you know, when you go around the room and introduce, I'm just like, yeah, I'm who I am, and I just want to take a workshop and be a student. Like, that's what right. I try to do. And then I have to remind myself, because um, people who don't know me, I'm like, oh, cool, I can pull out all my stupid bullshit moves, and no one <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, I got really heady for some reason when I took workshops with Kevin. Like, oh, it's UCB, so I got to be really fast and really witty and and all these things. And um, and it was like, and I got him to laugh several times. I was like, oh, I I won the workshop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so I still get heady even. Like you said, as a teacher, I'll tell people like, "Look, as a teacher, I'm not looking for all of that, and I'm really not." Yeah. And I still am like, "Oh, I want to make Will laugh at least once." <laughs> yeah. It's good to remember to be a student, I think, though, because you bring empathy then to your classroom and you know, and that kind of stuff, like you said, you can be more present and and you can see those kind of things. Um, do you do you do anything about consent up at the top of your workshops in terms of oh. touching?
2: Yeah, we normally do a little boundaries check in as well, particularly if we're gonna do something physical that's that, where we're literally gonna touch each other. Um, so I'll do the like, okay, so assume that uh, bikini areas are out, out of bounds, um, unless I'm coaching a group that's worked together for a long time and then I'll just check in. But if it's a like a new class of kind of strangers to each other, I'll definitely do that. And I'll be like, kissing is off the table also. And then we'll go around and say, Um, Do you have anything additional to that that you would like to let people know if it's injuries or just something you don't like? And I'll normally say what I don't like that day as well so that people feel comfortable saying something because there's this weird thing where people go, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, yeah, everyone's fine. But like, how are they fine? You know what I mean? Like it's not, I'm good and I have a problem. I just try and clear that up so I'll say I don't really like people grabbing me by the hair or by the clothes and I don't like people taking my glasses off in a show all that can be done with imagined stuff and then I still get to move and make choices and then we'll just go around yeah we do that yeah yeah. if it's a very short session though I'll basically just probably you know if it's like an hour taster or something that we sometimes do in businesses I'll think probably that's not going to come up and I might just do a Just respect each other and if anything looks like it's gonna come up, then I'll step in. But if it's like a two and a half or more hour session, then I'll definitely do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I had a friend, I was we were talking and I was like, I don't really have boundaries. She's like, Yeah, you do. I'm like, No, I don't she's like, Really? Do you want someone she's like so you want someone to like take their fist and punch you in your crotch? I was like, Oh no, I don't. She's like, So you have boundaries. (laughs) Right? Sometimes your boundaries are just further down the line, but everybody has a boundary. And Mm -hmm. so it's important. For yeah, for people to know that. Um, I find yeah. that chat interesting
2: also because stuff will come up that you've never thought of. Because uh, and then other people go, oh yeah, me too. So someone said, um, can I don't want anyone to put their fingers in my mouth. And half the group was like, what? Oh my god, that's so gross. And I thought, <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, I've done that, and that's happened to me, and I don't care. But that's a huge invasion of someone's like body, basically. Wow. And if, yeah. and if that happened with a stranger, I wouldn't be cool with it. But because it's my team, I'm like, we're fine. So, you're right. yeah, you're right. Totally. Right.
1: Yeah, like, I'll grind up on my teammates. I would never do that to someone I don't know. Yeah, I'll use my tongue. But, again, with yeah. my teammates. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and those are, impor- those are really important things. Um, so, do you, have you ever had to, like, stop a scene because the boundaries were getting crossed? Um,
2: I don't think so. I think the only times I've, I mean, there might've been other times I've forgotten and there's definitely more with beginners and stuff when you're like, oh, I thought that was obvious. Nope. <laughs> um, I, I stop scenes now, nowadays when people reframe gender cause I'm just fucking sick of it. So if, if someone's been referred to as like, if say if uh, a female identifying player, has declared themselves as a king or something, and then someone else will be like, uh, makes them a queen or something, or you know, just like regenders them according to, like whatever they identify as. Then I'll be like, wait, wait, wait. They just said this. Carry on. And it's really, it looks like just a listening thing, but it's really my quiet political agenda. <laughs> so I will pause and reframe that real quick, just to get out people out that habit or if anything feels like it might be offensive. If anyone reacts in the room, including me, then I might pause the scene and be, or, or stop the scene or edit the scene. Um, if I can't see a reaction to it, but I think it might be edgy, then I might be just talk about it afterwards. Like, did anyone find that uncomfortable? If so, why? And we'll just talk about it and not like, you screwed up, but just like, that's interesting. Why was that offensive? Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to change it. You just have to be aware of the reaction, that kind of stuff. Um, and occasionally physically, if something feels unsafe, like sometimes people stand on chairs that fold and I'm like, Oh, don't do that. Something you'll hurt yourself. Um, and I hate chairs because they are the
0: worst.
2: If I happen at a festival, I'm like, stop, change the chairs.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. We are terrible to our chairs. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, had, we did this
2: um, hypnosis improv show at the Edinburgh Fringe. So there, some of the audience members were genuinely hypnotized and put into a long-form musical, which is an incredible experience for everyone. Um, and I wasn't sure I believed it at the beginning, but I 100% did by the end. Um, but there was a girl one night who uh, decided that she was a table dancer. We didn't endow her with that. She was just like, this is who I am, and we just agree with whatever the hypnotized people say. So we're like, great. <laughs> um, and then she basically wanted to dance on a table, but there wasn't a table. So she started trying to dance on two of the guys in the show. So they went down on all fours and tried to make a really solid <laughs> table, and I was holding her by the hand, just, and being like, please don't fall off. Um, but stuff like that, where you're just like, this is probably really dodgy. If that was in a rehearsal, I'd be like, um, let's just keep an eye on this. But it was in a show and we just kind of let it run and then we're like, let's never agree with her doing that again. <laughs> as soon as we're
1: on the sides, we're like, how did it get that far? Let's <laughs> make sure it
2: doesn't happen again. Uh,
1: but it was Love funny. That. That was cool. um, what about the opposite? Have you had people stop a scene on their own?
2: Yeah, and I think more out of fear than, than like dismay. Uh, as far as I remember. But there's definitely people, uh, particularly when they experience something like slow burn for the first or an early time. I've had students stop, like, stop a scene This brilliant and just go and turn to me or the audience and be like, oh, like, scene, I mean, is this interesting? And everyone's like, go back to this scene. <laughs> they're, they're so invested and it seems really boring to the person who's playing. But we're reading all this subtext and they're just like, I need to be improvising, I need to be talking all the time. Otherwise, how is this interesting? So that a little bit. Or I've had people, yeah, enter a scene to do like a tag out or a, a walk-on. And then they suddenly just panic that their idea isn't good enough. You know, they've just they've just started working on kind of game or or coming in with little comedy bits. And they'll just be like, Oh my god, I don't know how to I know what the idea is, and I just I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then we'll just talk about it and go, cool, I'll just run it again see if it works or come in right. next time. But I don't think anything like bad, not that I remember,
1: yeah. Yeah, I find that too, like, I'm like, oh, you can stop a scene at any time and then people stop it for fear. And I'm like, okay, let me tell you, you can stop it if you're uncomfortable and your boundaries are being crossed, but you need to be afraid, go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Early. Yeah, <laughs> you're afraid that you're not good enough. You are. Let's go. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: You need to be afraid is a great name for a class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, we
1: should write that one down. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, oh my gosh. Um, all right. So as a woman, mm-hmm. um, what's your experience been, uh, if anything, um, in terms of teaching in the world of improv uh, that, you know, I mean, for us, you know, stateside, it's still pretty male dominated. Um, right. I've definitely, I've definitely had experiences where I'm like, yeah, that would, you wouldn't do this if I was a dude right now. And, right. Mm-hmm. I think I've
2: been incredibly lucky in that way as a, as a female teacher. Uh, when I started out, it was um, predominantly female teachers, Well, in Brighton, it was me and my friend Rachel Blackman and then a a couple of the Maydays, uh, who's always predominantly been women. For no reason other than when we cast people or people come in, we're like, it just happens. So I I can't even tell you why. Um, And then in London, I think uh, the schools that I work with are, again, either predominantly women or have a strong female voice anyway. So apart from the old school kind of London, like the 80, 80s, 90s wave, that was definitely guys. But I feel like that, there were just different scenes and that was a male scene. Um, and then whatever the second, third, however many waves it is, the wave I'm on, <laughs> or I'm probably last generation, but but the my generation has been very female. The people that we've seen kind of uh, move through television and media and stuff, the most identifiable improvisers are women. That's so nice. I think it's pretty great in that regard. There's only been a couple of times when I feel like I'm getting shit because I'm a woman. But because I used to do stand-up comedy, I just get all alpha about it. And I feel like, yeah, you want to go? <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> I get a bit um, a bit laddie, and I'm like, all right, you want to fight? Because I will win. Um, and then I quite enjoy it. Um, the only environment where I actually notice it is in a, a work setting. Mm. So there was a gig in London. I genuinely can't remember the company or I'd be happy slagging them off but I can't remember who it was. But there was um, uh, me, two female teachers and one male teacher. And we all knew each other really well. Um, and the, the corporate gig, everyone was a little bit drunk. So it was like an evening thing and it was part class and part show. So it was like Here's a couple of little tiny training things and then come up and join us on stage. And now, like a few years later, I'm like, this was a terrible pitch in the first place. And I didn't get to be involved in the pitch. I was just like, rock up and do it. So I was like, okay, money, whatever, but terrible. But the three women had a lot more experience than the one man. And whenever we spoke, blah, 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 everyone would talk over us, not listen, not do. And the one guy who was great, but had a lot less experience and definitely didn't rule a room with the same confidence or experience as us. He is super great, but just, uh, yeah, everyone had kind of pay more attention to him. He just had automatic authority. Although I think it gets better with age. I'm 39 now and I very rarely have any problems, but when I was like in my mid twenties, definitely it's a bit more like, no, I'm legitimate. I know what I'm talking about. Or maybe I didn't, but the age thing helps for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, a couple things. One was, um, so yeah, I got approached to do a corporate event also. And they're like, Yeah, I would love for you to come like do some training and do a show. And I was like, tell me about this event. Oh, well, this is where they, you know, this is their after they're done with their workshop. And so they'll be a lot drinking. I was like, I'm not teaching people who have been drinking at this point. You want us to come in for a workshop during your workshop hours, right? Because that's a nightmare. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so after talking to them, I was able to convince them, like, just a show part <laughs> yeah. was the right way to go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and I feel like sometimes those corporate events are like, well, we have to justify bringing you in to entertain, so they want that teaching component. Yeah. And it's like, you understand that, like, or you don't understand that just because it's Funny and comedy like I'm still trying to teach you something you don't just get to lay down like stupid jokes so it would be nice if you're sober (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah those those gigs are tough I've gotten to the point where yeah. I'm like, here's the fee. And if they're like, no, just it. I'm like, no. Cause then I know what, I know what I'm getting into. Then I know what this room's going to look like. I don't go, go to someone who has less experience. I, I don't need the money that bad to walk into a room full of like drunk dentists.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Damn you dentists. You're such a nightmare. <laughs> it is a
1: nightmare. Um, I think that age thing um, is, I mean, that's my experience, too, is that it's, it's true. And also, uh, well, I, there's this interesting that thing happens sometimes, right? So um, people who um, people who know me or have looked me up or have listened to the podcast or whatnot, so when I come in to do a workshop or something like that, they know that, like, I'm married and they know I have kids. And I think some of that uh, either puts me in a less female role, if you will, and, and as a result, I won't get maybe some of the stories that I've heard from other like female improvisers. Mm-hmm. And I also think part of it is also because I'm not um, a 20-something anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, but then there's sometimes it pushes a little too far because they'll want me to be like, I get the feeling that like, they're looking to me as like, mom? And I'm like, no, no. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like, I have my children. I'm not your mom i don't want to be your mom i'm not to be nice to you like a mom <laughs> yeah so it's a, an interesting thing and um but there's definitely been a few times for me where i've been trying to run a workshop trying to, get people to like quiet down or whatnot and then like a male will be like hey guys listen up and everybody stops yeah And you're just like really <laughs> yeah it's um, so that default like deeper voice that that comes out i guess uh but yeah I, 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 for us for me um i've had some experiences and then launching Adlib because i am the one who runs and operates and you know and casts and that kind of stuff it's no longer an issue because i'm the authority figure now right i'm the gatekeeper so yeah so we get less of that um but yeah it's uh I'll still see it also on stage though, right? People will do stuff and like you, I'll stop something because it could be I, in my personal agenda, I guess, but I like to think that it's like, no, I'm trying to teach this young 20 something male about his privilege. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> these <laughs> pissing me off, yes. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, maybe, yeah, there is, I
2: believe in that kind of, um, if you had the phrase, instead of glass ceiling, if you had the phrase sticky floor, I only came oh, I haven't heard that one. No. Yeah, I, I really have, I'll have to go and check who to ascribe it to you Cause I can't remember. But um, the idea that it's not that women, you know, rise to a certain point and they can't go any further. It's like, it's really hard to get off the ground. And I was lucky again. I think just, I was just one of that first new wave. So I didn't really have any barriers. It was like just trying to find the students. Like I wasn't fighting other people for the work which I don't believe in anyway, I believe in that all ships thing. But I can see it already a little bit that all the London schools, um, male run, not entirely, but like, um, I can see that there are a few uh, like youngish men that are definitely kind of rising up very quickly. And the odd woman, but because it's become more of an institution, more of like a, um, you know, a corporate thing because it is it's a school it's a business and there's just something about that um ingrained kind of where do I want to give the authority who do I want to make a teacher there's just a tiny bit of that and I think everyone that runs improv schools in London that I know are all amazing people and they're really cool and they're trying to make sure that that doesn't become a thing but there was a little phase maybe a couple years ago when I was teaching a few eight week classes. And I was like, Oh my God, there's only one or two women in my 14 to 16 member class. And I was like, what's happened? This used to be a majorly female, like more women than men. And that was just an interesting blip. And someone suggested that because it reached a popularity level in London, that then it was the thing to do. And that then maybe women felt like they had to be good at it in order to do it. Um, And so they wouldn't because they felt the sticky floor thing of I have to go in being amazing already. I don't know if this is all conjecture, right? I'm just, just a general um, thought or opinion, but I worry about that. And we try, and there's an amazing all-female night in London called The Playground, which has incredible female performers. It's not advertised as all-female. It just is. And I think that's a really great night for people to see and not worry about that and not be like, feeling competitive or like, it's a community. It's not a, there's only room for one lady. There's none of that. I think London's good at that. And it's fighting the the general thing that happens in society quite well. Right.
1: Well, we just, um, Adlib has just grown so much this past year that I, I needed to bring on an associate director. And um, I landed up bringing on someone who's the absolute right choice, but he's a white young male. Sure. And uh and he's he's perfect fit for it. But there's definitely part of me that was like, Oh, I'm, what am I doing? Oh God, you know, but he's this person in a position of authority and power and and it's and it it's happy, like hyper aware and and you know, and I, I mean so um my friend Paul Downcourt was like, Yeah, but you're still driving the ship, you're still captain of it. So um and I was like, I get it. Uh, and I, you know, again, like perfect person for the position and that's what I needed. And that's, you know, I think that's, you know, at the end of the day is what we need, but um, it is it's looking at like, okay, well, where are my women at? So I can start to help mentor and grow them to be the next gen of leaders. Uh, I had a friend who was somewhere recently and there was like a summit and um, she was disappointed to see that everyone who was like in the management of improv was all male.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: It's just like, well, where's, and, and that's what happens a lot of times, though, from a societal point of view, right? Like, it starts out a lot of women, and then as you go up into the higher authority, it suddenly becomes a sea of men. And so, yeah, yeah. it's something that um, I have my eye on a lot. <laughs> just try to, yeah, um, it, it's that balance of like who's the right person and also how can we make sure and foster that our voices are being heard so if, there's a lot <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's definitely true I think
2: um you know men are brought up in a way that's like yeah go get it go do it and we continue question and go is it okay if I do that am I allowed to do that am I good enough to do that and they'll just be like I know I want to open improv school and they just do it so it doesn't seem yeah so it's just that that mental barrier that we get brought up with that maybe just there's a couple of other steps that we need to do. So definitely, yeah, the schools in London are people that, I mean, I've I've never tried to run an improv school. I I work with them, but I've never run one. But like, um, yeah, the nursery in London was set up by Jules Munns, but uh, it's him and Chris, who you spoke to in your last episode, is on the creative team and also Heather's on the creative team. So it is, I guess you could say it was a male run school, but it's not, but it has such a strong female voice, but yeah, I don't know. Is that affected by who's on the paper? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I, I, I don't remember where I saw it, but there was some sort of, I don't, know, like a statistic. I don't know, but women tend to not ask for raises or promotions until they're overqualified where men are like, eh, I think I'm qualified. I'm going to go ask.
0: And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: the same
2: I did, a, I did a bit for a tech week at Facebook with improv and we were, I was, and it was uh, women mostly and we were talking about women in tech and how you know if there's 10 points on an application form of like you need these 10 skills or whatever then uh, a woman will apply if she has all 10 or more and a man will apply if he has 3 Right. obviously that's a huge generalisation because people are different but right in general that is the assumption so it's but it's funny isn't it because this is a job where we're comfortable with failure so ideally we should be like "Ah, i got three things yeah i'll just do it and i i think and i hope we have that mindset but definitely it is it is a mindset that we have to get over and you know you're you're a dude it doesn't even occur to
1: you that that's a thing right (laughs) right um if someone wanted to be a
2: teacher do you have any advice for them um train in lots of different places go pick up loads of tools just do as much as you can afford time or money wise um i think if you've only trained with one school i feel like it's risky because then you're going to have this baby duckling syndrome where you like think this is the only correct way to do something Uh, I would say teach too early teach before you if you want to teach go do it before you're comfortable knowing what you're going to do and just do it for free with your friends or your relatives or your company you know like if you work in a regular nine to five see if there's a few people then maybe go coach a team or something for super cheap or free and then just kind of build up and when you feel like ah, I'm not getting paid enough for this probably you're at a point where you should charge more and you're probably quite good because at the beginning you're like thank you for your time and being in a room with me and oh my god this is the best ever and later on you're a bit more like oh i'm not gonna get out of bed for 50 quid and it's not because you've turned into an asshole; it's because you know you're worth and you've spent probably thousands of pounds dollars traveling the world collecting this information and giving it back to people so yeah i think also, teaching is a great way to learn to codify what you maybe intrinsically know, but you don't know how to communicate that. Um, yeah, I taught before. I should have been teaching, but I think that made me a, a good player and teacher more quickly. Yeah.
1: Do you think there are any um, like attributes that make someone, you know, more inclined to be a better teacher?
2: I think I um, I'd always done directing and stuff like stand up or presenting or whatever. So I found that ruling a room thing, fine. That's never been stressful for me. But I think if you're someone that is nervous standing up and talking in front of people or running exercises, then it's probably just getting as many hours of that under your belt so that your kind of stress about it drops. Um, Yeah, and having empathy So not just again, not just running the exercises, but seeing how they are affecting the people in the room. There's maybe a bit of room for like, don't over talk. You don't want to hear some improv teacher bang on the whole time, but probably it's good to just check in every so often and be like, is everyone cool with this? Are you sick of two person scenes? Are you happy? And if they really want to build up their practice then just get a ton of surveys and not everyone's going to like you and that's fine. Um, But know what, if you keep seeing the same thing come up in your feedback, then that might be something you need to change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, <laughs> I used to be like, I don't want to do surveys. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, but they really—they're really a valuable tool, and it nine out of ten times is great, you know. And so, right. Uh, <laughs> um, any last thoughts or anything I haven't talked about that you wanted to to touch upon? um i don't know man uh
2: what else do i want to talk about i think i think um looking at other art forms is a really good way of keeping our improv fresh because it's such a glorious nerdy pool where we all get really excited just about improv all the time i think some people get lost and it can become very self-referential and stuff so i think if you want to be a a more connected or interesting improviser then there's like go live your life do other stuff (laughs) so all your scenes aren't just like hi i'm an improviser you must be an improviser because that's boring um so go live your life but also consume art live your life and consume art and then your improv will be interesting i think
1: i just gave a note to my own team because a lot of them also do scripted work Uh which is great feeds into the improv i'm happy to do it uh a bunch of the, you know some of them have theater backgrounds you know and whatnot but we keep they keep stumbling upon like oh i'm an actor or oh we're on set and <laughs> um who is off the table for now and uh the team i i make that it's complicated <laughs> 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 um, But <laughs> the note was though. So, uh all of you need to go live your life and go do something that isn't improv or theater or scripted and find a way to be more interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Just, I'm like, I'm done with boring stuff, you know. It's the same thing when like young people come out of college and do improv. Yeah. I'm like, all right, drinking parties are over, go live your life. <laughs> yeah. uh, if people want to find you and you want to be found, how can they do that?
2: <laughs> um, probably my website which is katyshoot.co.uk uh, it's k-a-t-y-s-c-h-u-t-t-e .co.uk and um, that's got all my shows all my classes uh, all my touring stuff on there and people can shoot me an email
1: or whatever on there as well awesome all right well I uh, pre- this was super fun like I'm glad we were able to make this happen pretty easily too
2: so yeah,
1: nice one. All right. nice oh, really? awesome thank you